Hello, everybody, and welcome back to BYOB, Bring Your Own Blockbuster Podcast. I'm Jack Hussey, and I'm joined, as ever, by Mr. Ben Haynes. And in a BYOB first, we can reveal to you, the ever-faithful listener, we can actually see each other at last. How's that, that, how's that feel, is, Ben? This is really interesting because I wondered whether it would spoil the magic, but I'm already buzzing. I can't stop smiling, which is very, very, very homo-erotic of me. I'm just sort of loving looking at you <laughs> in a world-class well, yeah, it's, fleece. It's quite nice, but yeah, no, I've been, I've been rinsing this fleece a bit at the moment. But it's, do you know what it is now? It's fleece weather. It's not big, thick jumper weather. It's fleece weather because things are starting to heat up a little bit this February, aren't they? Starting to warm up just a little bit. So the fleece can the fleece can come on. I have been asked um, on the Spurs podcast if I can send a link to said fleece. It's a few years old now. It's a few are you years kidding? Old, so you got asked for the link. That, you model you. circulation. I know, mate. I know. I, sh- I should be hitting up Berghaus being like, look, look, man, I have... I have viewers in their tens watching me across uh, my several podcasts. So if you if you want a uh, Berghaus model, then, uh, you know, I do a lot of hiking, that type of thing, outdoorsy stuff. <laughs> Send it my way. BYOB brought to you by Berghaus. Bring your own Berghaus. How you been, Ben? I've got very little to report, um, namely because I've been doing – like proper adult stuff like we've been trying to buy a house i mean we finally got to the point where we have bought a house but it's the most excruciatingly adult annoying nitty-gritty oh my god i'm a grown-up thing to do it's so frustrating so you you suddenly become aware of all this stuff that just steals your time you know you're just i never i never thought i was i didn't ever see myself as someone that would spend so long reading up on interest rates and mortgage changes but i've become that guy and it's really tragic i feel very old how are you with all due respect mate I, i'm already bored by this story so you know like it's this is crap you really yeah. haven't sold it yeah <laughs> adult housing all this type of stuff and do do you know i'll I'll, I'll let you in on something because this is this is quite an interesting little segue right because of the film we are doing this week what film are we doing this week ben let's just have a lord of the ring Uh, lord of the rings fellowship of the ring i'm so it's just the best it's so brilliant and exciting and i'm just so happy that we're talking about the lord of the rings so with that in mind, I just wanted to let you know that I have been uh I have been listening to a Tolkien biography, right, this past week. Audible. Got, off, got an audible free trial. They say they say the computers aren't listening to you, right? Us just talking about doing Lord of the Rings on a podcast. I got targeted by Audible to download to get a free trial to download this Tolkien biography and yeah, I got suckered in. So I'm listening to now a nine-hour J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> and he called Ronald. That's what his friends called him, by the way. Um, John Ronald, but Ronald to his friends. Listen to this big biography of his. And one of the big things, one of the big things that he detested, detested, was 
life. The little things like you're talking about there, all the little bits, paying bills, admin, doing all that sort of stuff. He detested it. He just wanted to sit there and get lost reading old. Specifically, he wanted to read books of the old English that they spoke in the East Midlands. That was like his specialty. That was his specialism. Would we know any of that stuff? <laughs> like it's not like no. something we would have studied in GCSE or something like that. It's not no, some no, right. No, okay, no, it's some absolute no, no, no. waffle. No, and but this the thing that is quite interesting about Tolkien, right? And the thing that is interesting about all of this about the language, about going on to write Lord of the Rings, because before he started writing Lord of the Rings, he used to create, write, write and create his own languages based on Old Norse, Old English, Icelandic, all these types of languages. He started to write his own languages, create them, right? And then that led him to create a type of elven language. And then that led him to write a poem about some elves who existed in this wood. And the story just started to expand out from that point. But he never intended to write Lord of the Rings as a story. He never intended to write a story. What he was trying to write was a world. He wanted to write the history of a world. He wanted to write some lore because he felt that the English in particular had lost all contact with their their past, their folkloric origins. Um, and he wanted to bring people in that modern, that modern then world back in touch with something that he felt we'd lost, a link back to the past. Um, but he just he didn't like bills. He didn't like he didn't like doing normal stuff that normal like you know he, he used to work at various different universities and he'd have to do different things as college. He hated it. He couldn't stand doing it. You know. I think that's like a. Um, I really really believe that's like a a character thing. Like that, that there's mm. certain parts of it. I definitely 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 have. I find it really hard to do stuff that is in that mid tier of things, mm. things like sorting out. I, I think I've probably mentioned it on the pod before, but there's a reason why so many people don't return things to ASOS that they've meant to return. But it's a mid tier. So, you mean I have to go to this shop and then show them a QR code and then they print something. But then, but the thing is, I'm not, I'm not going to buy anything in the shop. So I feel embarrassed about going into the shop to ask them to do this thing. And, Oh, you know what? <laughs> it's just a pair of gym shorts. Yes, they ride up in the crotch a bit, but I can get <laughs> yeah. a pair of It's fine. Yeah, and then right. and then you'll wear them. You'll wear them again in six months' time, and then be on the treadmill and be like, "Why am I wearing a thong?" Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and people people sort of are working out around you are just watching as you're there, like <laughs> yeah, tugging yeah. tugging at your front and back. Do you know what I mean? You're trying to get it out of. Whatever turbo wedgie that you've been <laughs> like dealt. a lo- load of people crammed into the back of a van, <laughs> <laughs> a load of badly shapen vegetables stuffed into the bottom of Granny's purse in there. No. A beanbag. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> you haven't been to the cinema this week. I haven't been to the cinema this week. No, no. It's been terrible. I've been poorly. I've been. Yeah. yeah. Can I, sorry to yammer on about this, but for full disclosure, for people that don't listen to your other podcasts, and they should um, do, yeah. But what are you doing? Um, but you've you've been absolutely hit by a sledgehammer of a illness here. Just a cold, just a cold. But as I said on the Spurs pod, I've got I've got real 
bad toxic masculinity things with getting ill. I, I'm always I really like, I pride, myself, I pride myself on not getting ill. I'm always like, no, my immune system's tip top. It is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so good. And as soon as I get ill, I'm like, you pathetic weakling. Look at you. <laughs> pathetic. Pathetic. Ooh, I'm poorly. You know, just. I've, I have that with being, um, with being like sort of physically sick. Mm. I, as an adult, like I think it's a really weak and feeble thing, you know, to be actually <laughs> to be like to be sick. Like you just think of yourself like as a seven year old, you've eaten yeah. something, you've got a funny time. Your mum be like, Who's got a bit of a funny tummy? You got a bit of a funny tummy. Oh, like, you need a nappy, do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my old house, I remember I got I got food poisoning once and I'd sort of been a bit unwell, but I had a mirror in the bathroom that was kind of like floor to ceiling. And I sort of like remember being unwell and yeah. <laughs> I looked over Patrick Bateman that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> I looked over at the mirror and I sort of almost had this thought in my head, like, look at you, look at you, <laughs> pathetic little weasel being ill like that. And you know, you and the thing is, it's like you don't even realize you're doing it, but you've got a sad face on. <laughs> Standing there naked, looking at yourself, it's like, look at you, look at you, this is what you are. <laughs> this is this is the sum total of you a meat tube that's it goes to restaurants and sits on his sofa and watches netflix that's what you are this is what it's come to what yeah. a shame <laughs> <laughs> anyway so now of us have been to the cinema this week um that's, that's good for a film pod, isn't it? That's <laughs> yeah, it's probably a good thing. We do, we will do a. Um... Oh, no, actually, I'll tell you one thing. I watched Nyad. I watched Nyad on Netflix. Oh, did you? Yeah. Well, um, one of us bloody had to because after the Oscar noms came yeah, out, yeah. it sort of took me. That came out of left field. It did. Um, and what an amazing story! Like I, I honestly, the story completely passed me by. Completely went over my head. Um, just off the top of my head, it's it's Annette Benning, Jodie Foster. Um, focusing around the, I think she's called Diane, Diane Nyad. Um, I'm going to look that up now, Purdy. Play me off, Johnny. Diana Nyad, okay. Right. So I, 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 I was right. You don't need to cut this out, Purdy. I was right. Well, I said Diane, Diana. Diana Nyad, who was like a first-class, long-distance swimmer. Um, and when she was in her late 20s, and when she was 28 years old, she wanted to take on one of the greatest challenges of all people sort of talk about, you know, swimming the English channel as being one of those like Holy grail things for long distance sea swimmers. But she wanted to swim from Cuba to Florida, which is about four times the distance. A lot of people actually believed that it was, and you know, many people do believe it's inhuman. It's not humanly possible because not only are you swimming against various different elements, you're swimming against like, the Gulf Stream. There's lots of different tangibles to this swim, let alone just having to swim for, I think it's 40 plus, around about 50 hours continuously. The challenge is with this long distance swimming, there's no stopping. There's no getting on the boat. There's no stopping swimming. There's no sleeping. There's nothing. You have to keep oh. going and going and going. Yeah. She talks about the kind of the almost like the they start to hallucinate while they're doing this. They start to, they go to another place entirely. It's, 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 a, it's a really mad story. Um, it's, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think it's an, an earth shattering film, if you like. Um, it's, 
I don't, I don't mean to sound sort of uh, derisory when I say this. It's a fairly standard biopic, right? You, you know, you see these around kind of, you know, awards time and things like that. You know, as, as a film, you know the beats of it. You know kind of, okay, this is the bit where they have the idea. This is the bit where it goes really well. This is a bit when it steps back. And then this is the bit where it either happens or it doesn't, but the main character learns from this experience. I won't, I mean, I would say don't look up what happens. I would say watch the film. If you don't know what, what yeah, happened I don't with idea. Diana Nyad, don't. I think keep watching it because it is genuinely very interesting. And I think it will add to the emotional heft of the film towards the end. What this film does have for it, even though I say it's a fairly standard biopic, is it has Annette Benning and Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, who I am so happy has come back to acting again, because I think she's had 10, 15 years out of the game, really, um, for whatever personal reason. She's been directing. I think she's been producing and stuff like that. But seeing her in this, you're just like, she is such an unbelievable screen presence. She's just so good. And... You forget that because she's, like I said, because she's not been really front and centre for quite some time now in big movies. And yeah, this isn't this isn't blockbuster. This isn't a, the hugest kind of movie of the summer or anything like that. But the fact she's also in the sort of flagship kind of HBO series, True Detective, which I haven't watched yet, um, but I hear that the series isn't great, but she is, and lots of people are watching her for it, uh, watching the film for her, the series for her doesn't come as much of a surprise because she is just brilliant. And even watching something like this, you see, as we sort of said, as I said previously about Russell Crowe on that, the Pope's Exorcist film, you see the value of great actors. It really like for anybody that still has that skepticism about all they do is go on screen and pretend to be somebody else. When you watch great actors in a fairly average movie, you see how important great actors are like you really do so let me i suppose we we probably should do this at this juncture best actress actress nominations for the oscars mm. annette benning is in there for niad mm. lily gladstone sandra hula for anatomy of a fall carrie mulligan for maestro and emma stone for poor things big controversy was that margot robbie wasn't in there and because i haven't seen niad i felt like i was in no way equipped to have an opinion because it felt like a lot of the backlash against like, this is an outrage that Margot Robbie has, yeah. uh, uh, hasn't been nominated was geared towards the idea that Barbie was so commercially successful as opposed to was Margot Robbie the best actress or one of the top five actresses in terms of her category across the board because the film has been so successful. So now you've seen the film do you, you see why Annette Benning is included in that shortlist? Yeah, I do. But I think this—I think it's two parts to it because I think it's—I think part of the reason why it's quite mad that Robbie didn't get nominated as well is because Ryan Gosling did, um, mm. and they're playing fairly similar roles in the movie. Um, but I mean, Annette Benning's just—she's amazing. You know, she's she's brilliant. Um, I don't know if you saw it a few years ago. I think it was Mark Ruffalo. She was in a film called The Kids Are All Right. Um, oh, I never saw that. that. That was a good film. She was brilliant in that. Obviously brilliant in American Beauty back in the day. Um, she's just great. But I think uh, for me, the funny thing is Jodie Foster really steals the show in this movie for me. Reese Ifans is in it as well. He's He's got a very good... Really? 
Yeah, I don't want to call it a cameo, but a supporting role in right. there. Um, it, it's not quite a cameo. I think it's a bit more than that. Um, but it's 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 a great film, and I, I would just, you know a couple of hours long. I definitely it's one of those we watched it Sunday afternoon going into Sunday evening. It's that type of movie. Do you know what I mean? So that that's when I'd say to watch it. Um, but still, still for me. On the Oscars question, it's still got to be Lily Gladstone. I still, yeah, I, I can't. I just can't really see past her. Like for the for the for the for, the, for what it represents, um, you know, that's that that adds to it. We can't pretend that there there isn't an element of that with Oscars selection and the consideration of the Oscars. But I just think her performance was was amazing. I think she was brilliant. I think her performance was the best. And I didn't even think Killers of the Flower Moon was the best film, but no. I think she was brilliant. I, and to be acting alongside Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro and to not look out of place, to not look overwhelmed, that takes that takes something, man. And I think she, you know, I think she really took it to that. Um, yeah. she, but, was, she was definitely, she, she's far and away for me. The other one is Greta Lee that I'm gutted for because I just thought she was so good in Past Lives. I thought she yeah. was so good in that. And Past Lives is kind of, it feels as though I know I'm total soppy bollocks. I like, I totally get it that this, this was my one that I'd sort of put on a bit of a pedestal, but for, for how good it was, I don't feel like it's been fairly recognized. And that's what, what I found kind of fascinating with the Barbie chat was people were like, where's Margot Robbie? And I was like, it, it, I totally get that. It's unbelievably successful commercially. I just don't think as a film that it was close to past lives in terms of the way that it moved me, but maybe it moved other people, you know, in that way. And I just, um, it, it, like, it's just each to their own kind of thing. Should we talk about this week's film, mate? Oh, I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm, honestly, I am. I'm absolutely pumped. Uh, I really wait. am. I really am absolutely pumped. Um, why, why did you pick it, mate? Lord of the Rings is for me as close to, I think as close to perfect as you can get in terms of a, a trilogy of films, but also b an immersive, uh, ethereal or mystical or otherworldly type setup in terms of you step into the film, you put the film on, the film begins. And if no one stops you, you could quite happily watch the three extended editions back to back and just disappear mm -hmm. into a completely different world and and not even need to come up for air you know maybe a toilet break but the it, it, it as soon as i put it on and the opening sequences and the fonts you see the font come up and these little beats that you're just like Oh, this is so special! I'd forgotten the, how special this is. The the short story, the film within the film that they start the film with. Incredible. And for however many years, <laughs> the ring stayed lying in wait until one day. This but isn't voice, it verbatim at all, but you know, it's, her voice. It sends shivers down your spine, doesn't it? That beginning bit. And, 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 
Oh. So, uh, just amazing. Look, I was gonna. I don't think it's fair to ask you to spoil it in sixty seconds for this one, just because I feel like this is kind of for me. This is almost in Godfather territory in terms of the volume of stuff that happens. I, I like how in the running order you said, "Tee up, gone in sixty seconds." Ha ha. Good luck, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not. It's just not worth it. But what I will do, what I will do is I will out you, you scummer. Oh, I wrote. No. <laughs> I wrote oh, honestly, no, no fibbing. Did you watch Two Towers? I didn't even get a chance to ask you this question because you'd already texted me on like Thursday or Friday of last week being like, I've done it. (laughs) (laughs) So explain to me why you, having watched Fellowship of the Ring, then sort of went, now I'm I'm, I'm going straight into Two Towers. Just because like for everything you said there, I love it. It's, It's a happy place. Love being back in. I love being back in Middle Earth. Um, yeah, you are in it, right? You're yeah, in it. I don't want to leave. That's. I know, like lots of people didn't like Rings of Power. I know there were sort of various different criticisms of it, but you know what? We, it was one of those things that, like, every single episode of it, I was just like, "This is just a treat." I just like being back here. I like watching stuff that is themed in this way. I really like the production. I like how much of an effort they've gone to to keep it in sync with you know the world that peter jackson created over 20 years ago now um and again like we spoke off air like the hobbit they did they need to turn that into a trilogy absolutely not could it have been done as one film yeah and it should have been and it would have do you know what if it had been one film it would have been a bloody epic film as well it Mm -hmm. really would have been brilliant um but instead they had three films with like some very good moments in it padded out with loads of guff. Um, But this Lord of the Rings, like I've wanted, I I was so happy when you said that you were going to, you, that you wanted to watch that this week, because I was sort of thinking to myself, I don't know when we're going to do them on BYOB. And I just want to watch them again. I'm just going to watch them. Like, (laughs) here we go. Two birds, one stone, mate. Two birds, one stone. I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit cheeky and absolutely floor you with a reducer challenge. Let people in behind the curtain because I think, because I will fess up to this as well. Um, You found yourself getting a bit teary when the kind of film kicked off. And I am exactly the same. A few sort of muffled, like sort of those uh, pre-cry breaths that you do. It's the pan pipes or whatever it is, isn't it, mate? As they go into the Shire. Amazing. Why doing it? I'll get like croaky. But why do we do that as a couple, (laughs) a couple of fairly emotional, uh, like meat tubes or whatever you call (laughs) us? Why is it that watching Lord of the Rings, a film about hobbits and elves, some men, some orcs, and a big fiery eye? Why? <laughs> why is it you're desperate to make a, a curry joke there <laughs> after a Saturday night take? <laughs> <laughs> why is it that paper you... in the freezer, eh? Siren. Yeah. <laughs> why is it that we find ourselves getting so emotional? Because I think there's a yeah, there's there's obviously a fantasy element to this film. Um, I was sort of talking about Tolkien at the beginning. A lot of people have tried to liken this to, you know, they say, oh, he must have based this on the First World War. This must be about the kind of Prussian-German expansion, the imperialism throughout Europe that caused the First World War. And he raged against that. 
he 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 despised allegory. He he said it's no way allegorical, even though he has kind of gone back on that in some ways and said that the character of Sam, for example, to him was representative of the average British soldier. But we can talk about that in a bit. He, he he despised allegory. He wanted this to be a story and it was its own thing. He didn't want people to think what he was trying to do was covertly sell people a message or convert people's opinions to a certain way of thinking or to have a certain perspective on a certain issue that was true to life. He wanted this to be a true escape for people. He wanted people to get in touch with nature, with folklore, and just lose themselves to this world that he created because like i say he created a world before he created this story the similarian how do you pronounce it no similarian the world that like so a lot of what the rings of power is based off of is this text this huge manuscript he created the similarian which is this law everything and was that including all the maps and stuff that he made yeah is it right whenever tolkien was asked about this i may be jumping too far ahead. I don't no, know. No, if no, I no. Am go, 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 go with your instincts. But, go with your instincts. But like, whenever he was asked about the Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth, the law, he would talk about this as if he were recant, like retelling actual history that he was uncovering, right? And when when this got digged into further, because the the, the came some conflicts with this because. Essentially, a lot of this, a lot of this imagery, orcs, goblins, elves, pixies, it's pagan imagery. And Tolkien was an avid member of the Catholic faith, of the Catholic Church. He was actually quite a pious man. Um, He would get into big arguments when, um, forgive me for, for not knowing the exact terminology, but essentially when the sermons and such stopped being spoken in Latin, in Catholic church when they started to be like, okay, well, we need to make this more universal. It's speaking English. He was very against that type of thing. So like I say, he was a very pious man. He had an ardent faith. He had an ardent belief in the Catholic faith. Um, And so when people would say there was a level of uh, hypocrisy to him creating this hugely pagan tale um, and wanting to get people back in touch with this folklore, he would sort of back that off a bit and say, no, Middle Earth, number one, Middle Earth, is this earth. It's based hundreds of thousands of years in this past. The 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 one who rules over us all is the Catholic God. He said the God within Middle Earth is still the Catholic God. People just didn't understand it at that point. Hence, they don't refer to it in the same way. But it feels like a bit of a get out of jail yeah. free card, doesn't it, from the lad? But still, <laughs> a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, but the, but the the point I'm trying to make is he spent he spent hours and hours because, like I say, he used to write languages. He used to lose himself to discovering old languages, to reconnecting with old texts. Beowulf, um, Sir Gawain, all these old English tales. He would find them in various different old languages, rewrite them, retell them. Um, and try and get as true to the message that these epic old poems would tell. So he was very, very invested in this stuff. And like I say, the, with the Similarian, um, what he was creating was a law. He was creating a history. And he he could speak apparently for hours and hours and hours about this world that he created. The Lord of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings are two stories that came to him latterly that he thought he could tell about this world that he created. But 
I, I don't need, he was an academic. This is the thing about Tolkien. He was an academic first and foremost. He wasn't an author. He wasn't a writer as such. I mean, he obviously was. He, he went on to do that type of thing. But he, before he wrote The Lord of the Rings, he wrote a lot of poetry and stuff, which was fairly mediocre. Um, he was often famed and often sought after for this. So the, the point I'm sort of trying to get to in a roundabout way is that I think we lose ourselves to this because you can feel you can feel the richness of this story. You can feel how deep it is. You can lose yourself in this world because that's exactly what it is. It's a world. And really the world he has created for the Lord of the Rings has been a world that's been created for, shall we say, most other fantasy writers that have come in his wake. Do you know, in, in the book, in the, the Fellowship of the Ring, the book, I would say at least kind of 30, 40 pages in the version that I have, in the copy that I have, is taken up by just maps and imagery. Did, was he, did he have a hand in that imagery? Is that, are they his drawings or are they someone else's that he's had done? Do you know what I'm... I'm, I'm not... Into, I, I know he did, lots of, he did lots of sketches and scribbles and things. I, I don't know if he would ultimately end up getting somebody that was maybe more artistically minded to, to do it. But it just um, it really captured me as a kid, really, yeah. really captured me as a kid because I was like, "Wow, yeah. this is huge. like this is amazing." The fact that you have this kind of you build this whole world, and then I can kind of almost back ref it as I'm reading. I can almost jump back into it, you know, yeah. um, and and use it as a, almost like a glossary for where we are in the story, which is exactly. just like, incredible. Yeah. I mean, in terms of one of like the sort of one of the stranger things about Tolkien is that it's not strange. I mean, that, that, that probably sounds quite rude to some people, but I mean, like I say, he, he, he would tell this as if he was telling a real history, a true history. And people were kind of unsure as to whether or not how much he actually believed his own folklore, because essentially his point was, this thought has come from somewhere. The, the thought for me to sit down and create this entire world and to tell these stories has, I mean, he's essentially said it's been put into his mind by God. A divine sort of. Precisely. Like, yeah. I don't know what you would, what you'd call it. Some sort of divine inspiration. Precisely. And it led him to question and people aren't really sure how serious or not he was with this and whether it was just somebody thinking aloud or whether it was something he believed and, held on to firmly, but there's a part of him that believes maybe that a lot of these stories that he was telling were real and maybe did happen in some realm of consciousness or at some point in time. It's, it's very, it's interesting, man. It's very fascinating. And I mean, do you know what? On a less deep level than that, mate, my dad loved Lord of the Rings He and Hobbit. He handed the books down to me as a kid. I read them. Oh, and when the films amazing. came out, we went and watched those together. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of, that's <clears> another part of why I love it, you know? Man, there is that, there is that to it as well. Because, I mean, I uh, watching it again, one of the hang-ups that I had going into this, I was just praying. Because of the legacy thing you were saying, I really, really, really didn't want to sit down and to turn it on and it not to capture me and it not to hit me in the same way that it did the first time that I watched it 20 yeah. years ago or whatever it was. And and I was relieved really quickly from the moment that we got into the Shire, from the moment that you hear that music and you just sort of sat there and 
the story gets told and Gandalf kind of comes and they, they what what is the line that Gandalf gives and he's like the, 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 as they're smoking well, when they're he said something like it's the finest weed in something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you yeah. sort of like, and I just had a little wry chuckle to myself, and I was like, "Ah, oh, we're there. It's good. Like, it is. It is still absolutely great. It's still perfect. It still stands up. It still has that legacy feeling. I still know that I will be showing this. My folks have never seen it, so I'm, I'm sort of almost like passing it upwards as well as then going to completely force." all of my kind of next gen down. So my, my brother's got two little kids. They will be forced to watch Lord of the Rings at some point and I'll be sitting there. And if they lose interest in it for five minutes, I'm like, you've got to watch this bits important. Like, I try and desperately try and keep them focused on it. Even though it's a two hour 51, I think, but uh, it was, uh, it's just wonderful. Um, and just to go back to the, the point about getting a bit weepy with that first bit. I had, and I, I know I go on about past lives all the time, but you, 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 I remember you saying the other week that there's the bit at the end of past lives where, spoiler alert, um, Greta Lee's character bursts into tears because she realises that she's basically closed the door to the past. Mm. And I think I got a little bit emotional because I think I was opening the door to being a little kid again as soon as the film started, it just sort of took me straight back there and I just kind of was going to surrender to the film, which is a really lovely thing. I think the idea of a, the idea of surrender is actually like, it's quite a religious thing, but it's, it's a really lovely thing in terms of cinema, just letting your guard down and just sitting there and going, right, I'm just going to open my eyes and my ears and just let this film just absolutely kind of, penetrate every part of my mind and get completely lodged in it and I couldn't get it out again I watched it and it just was I I spent the next three or four days humming this the songs thinking about the fight scenes and and on top of that being really struck by a lot of the wisdom of the film that maybe I hadn't picked up on when I was a kid big time big time the uh, what is uh, I just uh, the bit that really stuck out for me, um, it really got me, and I think you you get this as you get a bit older and your life experiences change and things like that. But there's a bit when, obviously, you know, Frodo's been given the ring, and he's he's saying to Gandalf, you know, why did it choose me? I don't I wish want the this. ring had never come to me. Yeah, I wish it never come to me. I don't want this anymore, and. When Gandalf basically, what does he says to him? He says, "He says so. So do all who live to see such times." But you don't get. But the, the, what is it? The the important thing is. It, it, so um, all we have to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring. In which case, you were also meant to have it, and that is an encouraging thought. Mm. it's just like do you know what the other one is he just he so just, suck it up Frodo this lovely back and forth there is also that then within I mean it's a five minute period where they've um they've gone into the mines and they're kind of having this discussion and and, and Frodo's Gandalf's kind of passing this wisdom onto him they then have a discussion about um Smeagol or Gollum 
and Gandalf sort of saying he's going to have a part to play in this. Uh, and he also says, don't be so quick to judge or to have pity on people. It was pity that stopped Bilbo killing Gollum. And for good or ill before this is over, the pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many, which is just wonderful. Just so yeah. wonderfully played by Ian McKellen. But then you've just had that. You've had this huge kind of emotionally heavy section. And then he just drops a, a little absolute beast of a line. And he says, well, when in doubt, always trust your nose. Yeah. And I just that in itself is just like a, he's just got this huge kind of really emotionally heavy talking points with, with Frodo. And then he flips over and it's Merry or Pippin. And he's like, always trust your nose. And that, that one line in itself is like a really lovely life lesson. Here's a, here's a question for you on Gandalf. Do you think he is somehow, because I, I don't know this, I, I honestly don't know what the law is or anything. Do you think he has any type of vision of what's to come, of the future? Do you think he knows what's happening or do you think he is so on? Because I guess what the what you don't get so much from the film that you do actually get from Rings of Power, interestingly enough, is that, you know the wizards they're not human they are they're not human people they they have a human form but they are almost like half angel in a way they're like angels on earth in a, in a in a certain sense you see gandalf at the beginning of uh, spoiler alert but you know can't grow up in the, in rings of power you see him fall to earth as the form of a like a shooting star as a falling star um and so his powers are not the same as an as an ordinary human being. But do you do you see it that he is somebody that knows the story is to come? Because, like you say, he does have those nods to Gollum and what Gollum's purpose in all of this might be. Or do you think it is more that he is more that there's a certain say Eastern mysticism to this, where he understands the karmic balance and the cosmic tapestry of the mortal existence the way in which we do you know what i mean the yeah. way in which that filters that cosmic thing filters through our very mortal lens because i don't think he moves through the film like a like a a, a body going from a to b and actually like a, a really cool um this is very sad did you ever play any of the games do you ever play any of the lord of the ring i, I actually didn't you know i actually didn't a, they're unbelievable, but they, B, they had this really clever way of um, presenting the way the game was going to unfold. And it had this, it basically had a big tree um, that you would see at the startup menu. You'd have a huge tree and it starts with the kind of main kind of stalk of the tree. And then it splits off into different journeys. And it says the, the path of the ring, the path of the king and the path of I think it's path of the you've got one other path of the the Hobbit or something like that because you and you're following the different storylines and they're weaving together. But the the only one that kind of drifts across all of them is Gandalf. He's the only one that kind of like has this kind of interwoven storyline, almost like he knows that he again another line. A wizard arrives exactly when he means to. He sort of like drops into the story at these points to kind of move the storyline along and it's almost mm. like he has this incredible sense of timing he knows exactly where to be and we also get that look to mike in the second film which 
we may or may not discuss more. Um, he, he sort of says, "Look to my coming at light the third day." I think is what he says. Is that is that the the line? But he does appear throughout the film to just arrive at the right time, and I don't know whether that is a sixth sense, a kind of an understanding, like you said, of the karmic forces, or whether he's actually got some sort of uh, omniscient style understanding of how the events are going to play out. Well, because, you know, because like one of the like things that people always say, is, <laughs> why, why didn't he just fly on the eagle and put it into Mount Doom? <laughs> Drop it from a distance. Yeah. But, Kobe Bryant. But I think part of it is that, like, if if you do take on board that Gandalf is some type of almost angelic presence, that he's a he's he's almost like a conduit of the of this, you know, ethereal force. Force, yeah, yeah, in a human form, he is there to to act to to give guidance to these mortal beings to say to to see if good can overcome evil if it can triumph in these circumstances almost like it is a sandbox for the gods or whatever do you know what i mean that yeah. It, yeah yeah they're seeing let's let's just see let's play out this scenario let's play out this scenario and see how they focus let's give them the crappiest odds ever let's give it let's entrust this ring to the hobbits let's trust this ring to the people who are supposed to just be friendly little village folk who don't fight who don't war or whatever. And let's put them on the most unlikely journey ever to see if the most ordinary homely person can, if given the right circumstances, overcome the greatest evil and triumph. Do you know what I mean? And it's such a, it's such a testament to, to endeavor and to grit and everything like that. That's why I love the film, man. I absolutely love it. I love the, the message behind it. Um, of, you know, you said it, you said it the other day and it was kind of like, I can't, it was such a, you worded it so perfectly, but it was something to the effect of, it, gotta it be was, me. <laughs> it was, it was the, I, it, I can't remember what it was, essentially something around the fact that it is an examination into the idea of hope and the idea yeah. that like you put in, you put faith in the hands of someone who you'd give a million to one chance and just hope and faith and perseverance are the traits that get you through. Yeah. But it yeah. just, it was so lovely that it is. I think that's part of the reason why the story is so this film of all of the three is so wonderful because you have that combining of the fellowship and you have that understanding that, out of all of these different people that have got all of these different strengths, really, actually, the one that's the most pure of heart is the one that is the most unassuming out of the entire group. And I think you even get that lovely little flick of them all arguing and then Gandalf kind of hears out of his peripherals that Frodo goes, I'll take it. And he doesn't want to hear it. He sort of doesn't listen to it the first time. And he says it again and then he sort of rolls his eyes because he knows it has to be him. He knows that he's yeah. the one who has to, to grab it. And again, that, could that be... spirit, the fact he has said it, Gandalf knows again, it's this, whatever it is, whatever this big divine comedy is, Frodo, the hobbits, the little people there, 
they have a big, big part to play in this. Learn about their ways in a month, and then after 100 years, they still surprise you. I thought that was another lovely line. Yeah. Well, let's expand on them, mate. Let's talk about Sam, because he's such a big part of this film. And... You know, he is sort of, he's he's the comedy foil, but at the same time, he's the one character that I think can floor you sometimes, right? With just his own, it's not even like, a, it's not even a, a level of wisdom. He has a matter of fact way about him, which is, I'm here to look after Frodo and that's yeah. what I'm going to do. And do you know it's as simple as that. He is, he is the Occam's razor of the film. Do you know what I mean? He, I don't know why, but it really made me um, go to that scene in Saving Private Ryan where um, Tom Hanks says, "What's the pool up to?" And they, 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 they're all trying to the the group of them that he's leading are all trying to guess what he does, and he knows yeah. secretly in the background that they're all betting on what his job is, and he essentially says, uh, "I'm a teacher." I'm just a teacher teaching a standard school in America. And um, I just know that I've got to do my job because if I do my job, it gets me home to my wife. And with every soldier that I kill, I feel further from home. And I think Sam is that in a nutshell for the film. He just knows he wants to get back to the Shire so much that all of this stuff, he's just got to get to the end of it. He said he's going to do it, so he's going to do it. And if he does it, then he can go home. And there's this lovely thing. I, 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 I don't know if you had a chance to watch in the stuff that I said. I sent Jack over this week a little... There's The extended editions of the DVDs have got such golden content on there in a way that old school DVDs used to have. Mm. It's hours, hours and hours and hours of interviews, of behind-the-scenes footage, of... Um, the cast being on set. So apparently, Sean Austin, Sean Austin, isn't it? Um, Might be Sean Astin, but maybe Astin. pronounce it Austin. Yeah. So apparently, he arrived. So the, the Hobbits all arrived for filming before everyone else. They'd arranged it so that they would spend a month together because they knew um, that if they got the hobbits right, if they got the heart of the film right, then everything else would fall in line after it. Um, Mm. So Peter Jackson basically said, I'm going to bring the hobbits in first and I'm going to put them in a trailer all together. Like, so they'll get ready for everything all together and hopefully we'll build this little group um, and they'll become very close knit and very tight. And then we'll put Gandalf. So we'll put Ian McKellen in their trailer for hair and makeup as well. So you had these really mischievous group of young lads, because at the time they're very, very young. And then we'll have the kind Late of... Late teens, early 20s, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, when you watch these interviews, these guys are babies, you know? Yeah. And then you're sitting next to one of the goats in Ian McKellen in your trailer as well. And um, and they said that Sam Austin, Aston was one of... He was the only one out of all four of them that travelled with his family he had a partner and he had a kid the other three young single doing their thing really and so he had this big brother style relationship with elijah wood because elijah wood was just kind of like here there and everywhere he had to be in almost every scene for the first two three months of filming so he was just being dragged around all over the place and so 
weirdly in real life, he just became Sam for Elijah Wood. So he was, he, he tells this story about how Elijah Wood would just con- constantly lose his keys for his apartment. So um, Sean would go and get a locksmith to come out and like, he'd be the one arranging it for him and then would return his keys to him on set. Fascinating. Isn't it lovely? And and you yeah. and and I feel like they have a really like I don't know, they're just wonderful chemistry. Wonderful chemistry. And so you good, for, isn't it? It's so good. You root for Sam so much. You root for him so much because you'd like to believe that he is what you would be like. Well, he's he's just he isn't he? He's that like he's the complete epitome of loyalty. Um, but also resilience. He he knows his own boundaries but he doesn't care about them you know like they uh was it is it aragon says doesn't he He says like you have a big heart hobbit when he when he when he comes flying in with a turnip or whatever he's got i can't remember what he says he says something but you can tell they you know he kind of respects him and he is just he's the everyman isn't he he's the ordinary hero and he does have just that absolute steadfast commitment to frodo because he is his friend, but in a strange way, he's almost like his master. He yeah. he covers Frodo almost in the same way that Smeagol <laughs> yeah. does the ring. It's 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 interesting, you know. I um, love that though. I lo- I don't. It's kind of like he's he, made he this promise, Smeagol. But we won't, we can't talk about that in this one, can we? But still, he he's got such a limited bit in Fellowship, isn't he? C- can I ask a, another one of you then? I just, because. We said at the beginning about the idea of falling back into Middle Earth, and there's this, there's obviously the scene where uh, Elrond, um, Hugo Weaving, uh, calls together all of the big boys to come and come and have a seat round. Almost, but it's very nice of the round table, isn't it? Everyone come and sit down, and we're all going to hash this out. So everyone rocks up. Who? Is the person that you, when you saw them arrive, you're like, now we're playing, now we're now we're here to go. Let's let's get stuck into this. Not my favorite of the fellowship. The one that you just sort of, yeah, you look at and you're like, yeah, that's a bit of me. I think I I, I don't see because I think it's a bit of me, but I, I've always liked Lego Last Man because I just I used to just think he's like fucking cool. Isn't you know? he just like, so? You know? And a fun fact for you, I think he has. I watched another video and I'm going to take credit for this. I did like, it's absolutely not my research. I just don't know who the person who did the research on this is. And I will try and find it and say it on the next pod. I think he he has a combined um, five seconds of direct dialogue to Elijah Wood. Really? In the whole of the trilogy. In terms of time (laughs) spent on screen where he addresses Elijah Wood. I think it's five seconds. Now, what's fascinating about this is that if you actually think about Legolas as a character, I think he's undeniably the coolest character in the in the whole thing. Yeah, you know, he just him, is so him cool. or Aragorn, isn't it? Like it's, it's yeah. Nice. But Aragorn is too too fucking white bread, isn't he? He's too he's like yeah. He's a bit yeah, he's a bit of a clean shirt, yeah, 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 exactly. He's like yeah, yeah, we get it. You're the king. Whereas Legolas is going to skateboard down some Ooh, steps. And shoot I'm, I'm the, the, the king of Gondor, but I'm not really. Oh, yeah. oh <laughs> yeah. you know, God, man, shut up. Go find myself. Go home and put a crown on. Exactly. (laughs) Sitting around in taverns with a hood on. Come on. Yeah, with that big old pipe. Um, 
you draw too much attention to yourself, Mister Underhill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, but Legolas is undeniably the coolest character in it. What's amazing about this is that if you actually said, "Go on, tell me Legolas's arc," he doesn't really have much of an arc. He just is an absolute boss. Yeah, he's just he's he, he's just he's almost like a kind of just a vessel for like cool stuff that happens like be it in the second or the third one i can't remember when he's like surfing on a shield and like yeah that's hitting the people one, with yeah. arrows and stuff he's like he's the way just, that he jumps onto the horse as well yeah yeah like underneath it up, yeah. down and round isn't it it's brilliant he's just a cool character one thing i've got to, i've got to give though I, you know you're talking about like um dvd extras and stuff you can find this there's a cool little one of uh Aragon might be a bit of a clean shirt, but Vico Vito Morganson um, on set in New Zealand, just fishing. Like, and you can hear that the dirt's like, Vigo, you needed. And he's just like, and he's just there, got all these like mountains around. He's him. like Snufkin from the Moomins, isn't he? Yeah. And he's just fishing because he's like, I love it here, man. It's so cool. And you kind of forget that, like, for the actors, the scenery in Lord of the Rings is unbelievable. Can you imagine being out there, like, because we're talking about which one of our favourites is, that, you know, out of the Fellowship. The, the, the scenery is a character unto itself. That uh, I still haven't been to New Zealand. I very much want to one day. It's up there, um, isn't Because it? It, it's, it's so beautiful. It's so unbelievable. And you can imagine, like, being one of these actors, being like, right, you're going to basically have to give the next three, four, five years of your life to this thing that is going to go down as one of the probably for the next hundred years, at least one of the greatest films, because what we're talking now, 23, 24 years old, this film is now. You said at the start, you were worried about how well it would hold up. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it really does. Doesn't it? Literally not a single bit of it. I mean, tiny bits of the CGI, but I mean, even that you could probably, if you wanted to, you could probably touch it up now. You could probably, because there's so little of it that wasn't shot, you know? The, the funny thing is, there's, there's funny bits that look kind of quite shoddy in terms of, like you're saying, the CGI, because I think most of it is very, very good. There are random bits when you see um, Sauron, like in the prequel, like in the prequel to the film part, when Sauron's like swinging his mace around and you see kind of like, soldiers and things flying off in those different directions i kind of i was watching that back and i thought that looks a little dodgy however when this scenes like the balrog for example when gandalf is fighting the balrog he looks unbelievable he looks so good it's so well done um the budget the budget for the cgi must have been absolutely enormous for it to for it to hold up as well as it does i, I would say I don't know, but it, it, yeah, it looked it was, better than a lot of films it, that have been made since, you know? Well, I mean, they that de- de- so much as ever, as we always go on about, so much of it has been shot, you know? So much of it has actually been shot because the scenery is so stunning. You've got that backdrop and you, you're, you're in an area of the world where you don't necessarily need to, there's so little around in New Zealand, the population isn't, dense they've got the freedom to kind of film and it and it to look as stunning as it does um just on uh that the idea of oh my gosh i i want to make sure i get his name right 
because I always mispronounce his name. Vigo Mortensen. Um, he apparently, so he didn't get the role. They had cast, what? they'd cast another Aragorn and they got about a month into filming and realized that the guy that they had cast, and I forget his name, um, uh, was too young. And they just were like, we've got to move quick. Um, if we don't do it now, then we won't do it. So um, they basically, Stuart Townsend, it was. I'm looking out now, yeah. Stuart Townsend, who's gone on to have like an okay sort of, you'd recognise his face. He's been in fair few bits and pieces. Nothing. There is a still, like, should I send it to you now? There is one still, there's only one image that people have of him playing Aragon. And I'll be honest, you see it and you're like, he is too young. Now you know the character Aragon. You could, it's a great decision. Let's have a look at this. We have to post it. Yeah, it doesn't work. He it's almost looks quite elven. That's the thing yeah. as well. Yeah. And it doesn't, and, and the thing is, is from the moment that you get to that point where he's sat, he's sat there as Strider in the pub and he's got that kind of look on his face and the big stubble and he, he, he's the guy, like he absolutely is him. Anyway, they, they said that from the moment he arrived, he is like a proper artist and he took his poetry, he was, wrote poetry constantly taking photographs, drawing, sketching, and he covered his mirror for his makeup table in images that he took all the way through all three films. And by the end of the third really? film, it was just completely covered in all the photographs that he'd taken. So it sounds like you kind of needed, um, needed someone who was going to really, really be that thing. You know, he really is that role. Um, and his look is so perfect. And the way that he sounds as well, he's got a fascinating voice, really fascinating voice, I think, as well. Um, oh, mate, how, how good is he, though? You know? just phenomenal, isn't he? Like, and that, that group, I just think that group in general, because I think Sean Bean is, for me, is unreal. I think he's phenomenal. And does, yeah. this, start, does this start the begin? Had Sean Bean already been someone that had died a lot in films? Oh, I don't know. I have to get back to you on that one. Because I would argue that this is probably one of the best deaths of any sort of film ever. You know, getting the arrow first and then yeah. getting up and then carrying on, then another one and then getting on, carrying on again, and then just sort of like sinking to his knees after the third one. Just amazing. It's, uh, I, I, the, the only thing I, I do, and this is, do you know what? It's not even fine wine or war crime. It's just one of my little, my little, my only tiny little things that get me about Peter, Jer Peter Jackson's directing at times is I think he sometimes milks oh, the, the shocked close up faces quite a bit. Like, you know, when Frodo gets stabbed by the cave troll and they don't know he's got the mithril armor on, they cut to him going, and then they yeah. cut back to the other. They cut back to the other hobbits going, and then they cut back to Frodo going, and then they cut back to the other hobbits going. You know, and you just kind of like, I get it, Peter. I get it. The people watching this happening to this person are shocked, right? Get over it. Stop. Stop. Stop doing this. And then, so in that Sean Bean sequence, they do that. He he just relies on that a little bit too much. You see the arrows going, then you see the hobbits looking shocked. And then, but 
it's still brilliant. It's still brilliant. I get it. And I just love that because it is, it's his redemption arc as well, isn't it? It's Bor- Boromir, isn't it? Yeah. Boromir. And then his brother is Faramir. Faramir? Yeah. Boromir, because he knows really he failed. He got, he got seduced by the ring. He knows that he did. And I think he just he feels disappointed. But how good is it when he calls Aragon my king at the end? There's so many of those little moments, aren't there? When um Gimli has his moment in the in in the mines where he realizes that all of his family have basically been killed by the by the Urukai and the orcs, sort of and down on the, the grave. And then Merry and Pippin as well as these brilliant comic foils. Just- Mate, what is it? You always do the impression so well, the Gandalf, the Philip and Pippin, you blah, 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 Philip oh, whatever line. he said. Yeah. It's a line. Oh, God, what is the line? And it's Peregrine Book. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will find it and I'll have it for the, for, for next week's episode. But, um, and that that he also does that brilliant Ian McKellen does that other brilliant thing at the beginning at the beginning of the film where Bill was like he tried to take it from me and then he he sort of like do not whatever me as some cheap conjurer of tricks and like and he's like I'm trying to help you and it all just kind of like the color drains out the shot and then just comes back in really warmly it's Ian McKellen's voice is right. magnificent it's mine mine that face is horrible and his teeth go all sharp as well it's like you know when people go for their turkey teeth and they get them all (laughs) down first looks like like bilbo's gone to turkey mate there's um there's another brilliant uh little bit from that thing that i sent you where ian basically uh, i think orlando bloom had basically come fresh out of acting school and so he was like this very kind of up and comer, good looking lad, looked the part, um, was obviously he just looked like an elf, didn't he? He was sort of perfectly yeah. and he was very like very sort of serious looking and smouldering. And um, a couple of times in this sort of mini documentary, Ian McKellen says that uh, this is this is Orlando's first film set. And one must remember that one shouldn't always say what one thinks immediately. And he goes, <laughs> there's been a few times that the old lion has had to push down the young cub. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. I love his like, like, and I don't mean this in a, in a bigoted way. I love his like affected campness. Yeah, in yeah exactly. Like, so brilliant. Like, <laughs> He's so brilliant. Referencing um, himself as the old lion as well. Yeah. I am. Um, I, I the thing I, I always find quite funny about Orlando Bloom, especially, and I especially did back then in the day, because you saw him like this kind of foppish heartthrob lad that you expected to be this kind of Californian preppy, and he's like, "What, mate? I'm Orlando Bloom. No, I am. Know you know what I mean? Bit of a geezer. I am. I'm Orlando Bloom." And you're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> it's so funny it's so funny he was i i actually thought um that he's he's weirdly underrated in this because he doesn't say very much but the way that he carries off the part i actually think he was sort of like you said he was just cool he was really really cool. thing, isn't it? i'm not here to chat i'm here to just 
jump about and kill orcs and stuff. Like, just shut up. Why are we all talking? Let's go. Let's go get into it. Let's go get into the action. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you see this in your day job a lot, mate. Like a lot of you know these footballers, right? They're all these are all athletes. These are all guys that they're not. They don't want to sit around and talk for ages and ages and ages. They just want to go out and play football and beat whatever team is put in front of them, right? Legolas is that, isn't he? Entirely, yeah. like he's he's the Premier League footballer of his day, kind of thing. Just get it done, you know. Yeah. But he's. But the, the other thing is, is that there was. I, I didn't realize this. Well, I, I hadn't because I hadn't read the book in so so long. But there was this inbuilt. So I think they, because there's so much. Peter Jackson has said that if you try to actually make the film according to what the books were, it just would have made no sense. The whole thing would have just been a total mess. So obviously he had to take some sort of creative approach to pull a thread together that works. And like elves supposedly absolutely hated the dwarves. Like it was, it was, uh, yeah. there was a, 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 it was beyond a hatred. It was like, there was, they just wouldn't hold a conversation with them. And actually very quickly him and Gimli become quite a good double act. Yeah. But, they're proper bros, aren't they? Nick? Yeah. But it, it, it happens a little fast sort of thing. But I actually felt just in terms of the film, the way that those three just become at the end, by the time you get to the end and those three are like, right, we're just going to go on some fucking quest and tear shit up. Yeah. You're like, yeah, yeah. I'm Sign me up for another eight hours of this. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in. It's class, isn't it? Like they're just, I love them, mate. I, I think they're, I think they're unbelievable. I, I, I just, ah, I love it. I love it. Um, What do you, I mean, what, what, don't really know how to where we where we go with this one mate um what what stands out for you what are your favorite scenes in this film because the the thing is the reason why i say because it's such a mammoth this film there's so many different facets to it there's so many different things that you can talk about that i don't even feel like we've we've done it full justice but I guess that's that's the joy of this. You can just pick around it and we can talk about the little bits that we like and the things that we do and don't like. Because so many people know so much about this film. Everyone yeah. in this film. And everyone will always continue to see this film. Like I say, probably for another at least 30 years until it starts to maybe look too dated and then they make another one and we'll be old and say, well, no, it's I don't not as bad. <laughs> yeah. And it won't be as good. You know it won't be as good. It can't be. It can't be because no. it's the, the per- like like you said it's the perfect frozen in time thing. They just the stars aligned. They did it in a period of cinema where you could do this and they they new line they basically funded all three films at once said we're signing up for the whole lot because I think it was Miramax. I think it was going to be Miramax. Yeah, it was Weinstein, yeah. And they said that it was that they were only going to commit a certain amount of money. And so they flipped over and they took it from Miramax and said, no, we're going to do, we're going to do this. And I think think they still had some involvement. I think Weinstein's still one of the producers. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Ah, that's interesting because I thought they had, yeah, there was something in there that they had basically not got the commitment that they wanted up front to go and make it happen. And I mean, you kind of get that, right? Because, to say, give me 
three films created over the course of 10 years all in for production. Well, because you, you think about what was the precedent for these, for these, like at least, I know it's a fantasy film, but you know, if we're talking fantasy films, we're talking things like Labyrinth, things like Willow, The Princess Bride, right? But nothing of this scale had been, unless I'm missing anything glaringly obvious. Well, no, and the other thing is, is that at the time, the obvious competition would have been Harry Potter. Yeah. Because, but Harry Potter was being, it, it was exploding in terms of its cultural significance because of the books. So they mm. started making the films, I think, uh, around book, oh, I can't remember, book four, book five, maybe. Yeah. So it was so, it, in terms of its cultural significance then, it was almost a tap-in. You know, Lord yeah. of the Rings was much older. It, this yeah. was a case of if you're going to commit to this, you've really got to recapture the zeitgeist. You've got to go out and find this audience again, you know? But do, do you remember like when when they started, because I was pumped about them making this because I'd read them, but I remember a lot of people being like, that's going to be a tough one. That's going to be a tough one to crack that. Yeah. And then I remember as they all dropped, everyone was just like, they've done it. Fair enough. The, Good the, girl, um, they've done it. You know, I, I do remember a couple of my mates that were massively very, that were very, very on the nose with it. That they were, um, they were very upset with some of the inclusions from things that were meant to be in the first film that weren't. Yeah, and that they were like, "Why wasn't that in there?" I remember coming out of the cinema because I'd only read it once, so it, to me it was kind of like, "Ah, oh, okay, cool." But they were like, why wasn't that in there? Because they really, really sort of in, were into the lore of it. And it really, <laughs> yeah, scrubs. Um, But yeah, in terms of favorite scenes, I think if I had to pick my favorite in this, I would go for, God, that is brutally tough. I do think the, the Rivendell sequence with them all arriving is properly amazing I, I just think seeing the way that they come in and they all sort of they they create the fellowship i think is awesome close runner-up galadriel sequence as well when she mm. suddenly passes the test of of the temptation which is amazing um and i think that i think possibly the the bit in the minds of gandalf just imparting wisdom it just sort of moved me a lot yeah just really on what was yours it's the it's the sequence when they've they fought off the it's in the mines they fought off the trolls but you know the Balrog is coming you know <gasps> fools. oh no it's just fly you fools is it yeah yeah, yeah amazing it, oh mate you shall not pass it's just so good and the yeah, Balrog is, the Balrog's so scary it still scares me now when you see. When you first hear him sort of growling and you see the f firelight light up all the pillars coming down the hallway, I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah. Uh -oh. But even the, the, those that scene or, or, or that collection of scenes in itself, you suddenly realise that you've been – that's another one of those where you realise you've been gripping your chair. Yeah. You know, that you've been on edge for about 20 minutes and you haven't really – since the moment that Merry and or Pippin knocks over the thing down the – the huge shaft and suddenly they all come out of nowhere. That's probably the first time you start to get the, the big fight scenes. And I think that's probably another thing that I would, wouldn't want to overlook 
is just how well the fight scenes are choreographed and how yeah, many extras yeah. they use. And apparently, I, 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 I'm not sure if this is 100 percent true, but apparently they were they you they were sort of employed a lot of um, uh, native people, Maori people, really to to play some of the roles because they're obviously sort of genetically so wonderfully stacked and 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 strong and um, have such heritage in terms of their kind of what would be the the correct terminology for it because they. Pacific that, Islanders, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, and 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 in terms of their, um, gosh, what is the the word in terms of their, um, what, what's it called when you have a, a collection of beliefs, faiths, ru- almost routine style ways of like the hacker, for example, is it's like tradition, tra- cultural traditions, epi- epithets. That's it, epithets. Like, yeah. yeah, cultural epithets that that are that kind of lend themselves wonderfully to yeah to that. That it's just by the time you get to that scene in the forest at the end, it's properly scary. It's yeah. properly scary. You're scared yeah. shitless of them, but that has built over the film because you haven't really got it's sort of gently up and up and up. I've got to say, actually, one of my other scenes as well, Saddamon versus Gandalf as well. Very like, good. When he first, when suddenly Gandalf is like, hang on, I know what's going on here. I'm in trouble here. Yeah, and they're fucking they're like hitting each other with their staffs and, ah, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. Because you do, because knowing how strong Gandalf is, you can see that Saruman is obviously more powerful than Gandalf and you, it makes you wonder, Christ, he must be. He must yeah. be Abelard. Yeah, know? and and th- when he's sort of hanging off the edge of the the tower at yeah. a right angle, oh, amazing! How um, good is Christopher Lee, man? How good is like Christopher Lee? Right, I got to give you this bit of juice. Oh, please! Now this is this is for this is skipping ahead, but it was it was it, he gave this as an interview after the first film, so I don't feel bad using it. But you know Christopher Lee's backstory that it was in the military. That he was a very wild story, right? Yeah. So he's was he a spy or something? He was that he worked. Yeah, he was either worked for MI five or MI six. He was in the military in the war. He was a like very highly qualified bad bastard in the in the in the military. And um, he was like bonking a countess or something, wasn't he? (laughs) Or he had the real. He he was like the he was basically the real James Bond, wasn't he? Yeah, and yeah. He um and P- ultimately his death as a character Saruman is, is is he gets stabbed in the stabbed in the back right by Grima Wormtongue, um and apparently uh he had to correct Peter Jackson um because Peter Jackson so like he says right so you'll get stabbed and you'll let out a scream and he's like do you know what happens when someone gets stabbed through the back he's like they don't scream they go. <gasps> <laughs> Peter Jackson was like, "How do you know that?" <laughs> and he literally, he just, he just knew from being such a double hard bastard that he literally <laughs> the exact sound it makes when you shove a bayonet through someone in the back. Oh dear! Oh so, dear. so when you actually watch it back, it will take on whole new significance for you now because he does this amazing noise, which sort of basically expels all the air from his lungs. But um, but he was an absolute nut for the books he was like a huge fan of the books really so this was like his life's dream to be in lord of the rings cool. he was like never gonna miss pass it up and he fell out with peter jackson um after he cut scenes from the film featuring saruman because he felt it was a betrayal of the novel 
Um, so they fell out for years and years and years up until <laughs> up until the Hobbit, when he came back into it. Um, oh, yeah, because he turned up to one of the premieres and he wasn't in the film. He was like waiting for his scenes to be on it, and then he sat through it. And they'd cut. Well, I, I get that. I get. I get yeah. how that's going to get to you. To be fair, crazy, um, isn't it? Shall we find wine or war crime this, mate? Yes, please. So I, 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 I don't off the bat. I don't have anything egregious. I don't have anything like that just tore that, that where I was sitting. I'm trying to think of a good example. We've had some films where I've watched the film and gone a bit like, oh, no. You know, you've had that moment. Yeah. I didn't have that that much of this film considering it's 20 years old. Did you? No. And I, I think what we both spoke about off air, I guess the, the main thing is, and I think you, I don't know if, is this a quote or is this is your words? In a, world of mythical, in, a, yeah, yeah. in a world of mythical beasts, there's no black people. Yeah. Um, that's, I guess that's, and you know, what we're talking about there is the closest thing to black people in the film are the orcs, the baddie, yeah. which, you know, I, I don't think we need to delve into this aspect of it. There's some criticism of Tolkien's texts and the interpretation as to what these dark skinned orcs represent and everything. But if we're looking at it in the context of the film, um yeah it it look it sticks out like a sore thumb when you watch it now um i think they've they've s- kind of seek to correct that with the rings of power and that's pissed off all the usual people um <laughs> which as as you sort of say in your own words there it just seems so bizarre it seems so bizarre that in a world where because you know people say well well you know there weren't black people in medieval Britain, which is actually now proven to be sort of historically inaccurate, but also it's a fantasy world. Like how can you suspend belief for a dragon and for an orc and a goblin, but not for there to be a black hobbit? I don't like, you know? Um, So I guess I would assume that the filmmakers at the time and this is a big assumption of mine, but I guess they have modelled this on a kind of vision of a medieval European scene, and thus they didn't think there were any room for any people of colour. And that's a shame, isn't it? It's a shame that you've kind of just got that one bit when you look back on this film and you think, you know, there's like we, you know, loving this film, and I'm not gonna, I'm not going to project. I'm not going to say that people of color didn't love this film because I know I know actually plenty of people of color that do absolutely adore these films as much as anyone else. But you know, maybe some people would have been like, oh, it would have been nice to perhaps have seen a few people that look like me in this film yeah. as well, a film that yeah. I love so dearly. You know, but yeah, and equal, I mean, I guess there is also, um, although I, I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head how significantly different this is from the books, but it does feel as though the screen time is largely dominated by by the dudes as well. Um, and I'm trying to remember yeah. whether in the book, whether particularly um, uh, Galadri- Galadriel and Arwen, is it, have a lot more to say and there's a lot more story there. I wouldn't be surprised if they did <laughs> just listen to this Tolkien biography. I don't think he was, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think he was, I don't think he was uh, much of a feminist. Let's put yeah. it that way. He was just yeah. the oldest man from the 1800s, early 19th, like Victorian man, really, that 
even for of that time was probably a bit old fashioned as have well. You, have I, you seen the episode of Extras with Patrick Stewart? I, I have watched of it. I can't remember it, but I and have he's watched sort of talk, it. He's writing a screenplay, and it basically stars him. And his the the fundamental core of the film is that whenever he speaks to women, their clothes fall off. <laughs> <laughs> and it is like I'm just picturing Tolkien as sort of Patrick Stewart, just kind of very old fashioned And then obviously I've already seen everything because her clothes have fallen off. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, yeah, I think that would have been most unbecoming. I don't think uh, he would have he would have subscribed for any of that. <laughs> um, far too far too pious for any for any funny business. Before we be ball, do you want to bring the lights down and tell us what we're doing next week on the film front? Look, I don't think we need to have a massive introduction here. I often like to do a big rambling monologue here, but as I said at the start of this and as I said to you, look, you, you, you uncorked something. Last week you said, and it'll be really good when in a few months' time when we do the two towers. I didn't realise I was Hermione Granger. Or worse, expelled. We're doing the two towers. That's what we're doing next week. We're, look, I, I'm not ready to leave with love. This, this, these films, this whole stuff, this world, it needs more than an hour and a half to cover it. So sorry if next week you were looking for us to go into Aladdin or something like that. Not happening. We're staying in Middle Earth, two towers, because look, this the way this tees up what is, let's be honest, one of the greatest films of all time in the two towers. Just we have to have the momentum. Yeah, we have to I believe I, I don't know about you. I'm I'm I think two towers is the best of the three as well. I, I think it has the big the biggest. I mean, the Battle of Helm's Deep. Come unbelievable, on, unbelievable. Like, Game of Thrones has basically sat there taking notes watching the battle of helms deep and they're like yeah so do this but more boobs and more blood yeah. basically isn't sure it? tolkien so, didn't write it tolkien yeah. and patrick stewart together <laughs> let's do some imd ball eh Right then. Um, so we're going to go for films featuring members of the cast of Lord of the Rings. So you can pretty much go Ooh. anywhere that you want here. Um, w- would you like 10 seconds to just have a little think? Sure. But, you know, let's just dive in. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, I think you won last time out, so I'm going to reserve the right to go first. Is it 4-1? Yeah. So I'm going to go with a slightly left field one to start. I'm going to go with Sin City. Interesting. All right. I'm going to go. Who's in? And who's in that? Just, you know, for. That's Elijah Wood, who played a really yellow man. Horrible little yellow man. Yeah. Yeah, It was absolutely horrid. Yeah. Disgusting. Um, I am going to go Vigo Mortensen. Vito, Vigo, Vigo Mortensen in A History of Violence. Oh, wow. Very good shout. A History of Violence comes in as a 7.4. Sin City is an 8. Big first pen. And while we're on uh, Vigo Mortensen, I'm going to go for the Green Book. Okay, the Green Book. That's that's quite a good shout, really. 
Um, Sean Astin, let's say the Goonies. Oh, wow. Very nice. Oh, right, right, right. The Goonies, 7.7. Ooh. Green Book, 8.2. Sudden oh, death. You're getting me. You're pumping me this week, mate. Sudden death. Okay. I will go next up. Oh, let's let's take a chance here. I think it's going to be crap, but we'll go Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. And that is Orlando Bloom. Swashbuckling his way around Johnny Depp. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, I'm going to say... Hmm... This is tough. This is really tough. Um, oh, I'm just going to give it Live Tyler in Armageddon. Go on. Oh my God. That's a, do you know what? I had that on my, I had that on my yeah. list. So I, should, I know I should have done, do you know what I should have done? I should have done Tar, Kate Blanchett. I should have done Tar. Oh, wow. You had it. I, look, I have to accept Armageddon. 6.7. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that takes it. Pirates Caribbean, 8.1, which seems very generous. But this, do you know what? Now you'll be sort of kicking yourself. Because I was going to go next. I was going to go probably X-Men for McKellen. Yeah, yeah. Kate Blanchett's got about five absolute stormers. Hasn't do, she? do you know, as soon as I said I'm again, I was like, why have I not said a Kate Blanchett film? Yeah. Like, she's got so many. So she had Carol, which is 7.2. Yeah. What was Tom? Um, Tars 7.4. Oh, is that all? Wow. Yeah. But that we know like we know about this. This is the mm. this is the, the the kind of nature of this game. It will play with your play with your head. But what um I I'm so so excited to stay in middle Four. earth. Well done, mate. Four two, you're catching up, you know. Yeah, fine. Get ahead of yourself. Do you know what I mean? But you still know, still. Two, 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 two to go. Um uh right subscribe if you haven't already subscribed to you like and subscribe get involved Leave, that's if, if you nice listen, reviews if you listen if you're not watching if you're listening right itunes right if you're on itunes leave a rating leave a review helps us helps spread the pod to more people if you're on spotify you've got even less of an excuse spotify you go in the app you click the stars five stars and that's it. It's done. And That's all done. you need to do for Spotify. Thin. But if you do listen on Apple, leave a little review. Just say, I like these two shoppy bollocks talking Love about. Love the fleece. Done. done. We'll go. take exactly. that. And yeah, yeah, and get watching for next week a bit of uh, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, because that is a joy of a film. Um, oh. We'll see you all next time.